Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.48 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the third day of February, 2023. This most unholy day. For this is episode 666 of Bitcoin. And it's gone. It's gone. It just disappeared from Apple's Chinese app store, Domus. Within 36 hours of being released on Apple's, you know, app store, uh, the Chinese government forced Apple to take it down from the Chinese version of Apple's app store. Why is that important? I don't think I actually have to tell you. You know it's important. What does it signal, though? (laughs) They can't stop this shit. Nobody can. It doesn't matter the government. It doesn't matter. It does Well, none of it matters. There's only one way any government will have any recourse other than kill the entire internet for their country in total, forever, infinity, period. And you want to watch cities burn to the ground? do that. And it's not because we're quote unquote addicted to the internet. Nope. 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 Well, kinda, but I'm not saying we're addicted to cat pictures, addicted to TikTok, addict. Those are different kinds of addictions. Okay. Uh, But a country's addiction to quote unquote, the internet isn't that a country's addiction to the internet is that it's has such high utility and has had such high utility for a very long time that now people pay their bills. They do their banking. They do, they order food. They order goods and services. They, I mean, honestly, it, it, and, it's be, and it's been that way for so long that to turn it off and force people to only be able to transact the way that we were transacting 30 years ago. Remember, 1991, around there in 1991 to 1993, before those dates, the general public of the United States of America and the rest of the world really didn't have access to the internet. We did, if you knew how to access it, but this is pre-browsers. Remember, if anybody in the audience uh, remembers Netscape, Netscape was one of, if not the very first, quote unquote, internet browser, right? Yes, people were using AOL and, and, and stuff like that. But as long as you were able to access, you know, what's called PPP, or like, I can't even remember what it stands for anymore. 
it was it there, like when I was a when I was a freshman at college or whatever is basically when you know this stuff started coming out and I had to go down to Central IT and I had to get uh, a TCP IP account. That's what they <laughs> that's what they called it, which was tied directly to my you know my my student ID number and all that you know social security number and all that. And none of us were the wiser. We didn't think in terms of privacy. We didn't even know what the hell the internet was. But over the years, as we got more and more utility and more and more bandwidth, you know, whole institutions started going online. And at first it was silly. We had pets.com and you couldn't actually, you could order something, but you had to send them a check. (laughs) You'd know, I'm serious. You had to send them a check or money order in the USPS, the United States Postal Service. You had to use the mail to get them their money. And only after your check was processed would they send you an email or some, you know, if you if you had an email account, we're talking early days, bro. Then they'd say, yeah, okay, now we're boxing your shit up and and here's your, you know, your your FedEx tracking number. Yeah, no, it was like that. It was like that. And then, you know, credit cards started coming online, but most people were very wary of putting their credit card numbers online. Now it's just, nobody gives a shit. Because of, and, and what, what it is, is convenience and utility pretty much went out against, you know, st- structuring your life around privacy, security, and things like that. And all of us, to some degree or another, uh, you know, are, are, we're in that boat. Well, China, you know, and, and any of the other authoritarian countries, and make no mistake, the United States of America is fast becoming authoritarian. But let's look at our neighbors to the north, Canada. Very authoritarian, damn near getting into totalitarianism. And I could see Canada mulling over, just cutting the internet off for good. And why is that important? Because that's the only way you're going to stop Nostra protocol. That's the only way that you're going to stop Bitcoin protocol is to literally pull the plug on the internet for everybody, for everybody. Except, of course, the government will keep the internet on for themselves, but people in the government will buy Bitcoin with it. Now they'll have access and it'll become even worse for the people that don't have access. Am I calling for this? I no, Somebody will probably try. It won't be China. They'll, they'll, they, their hubris about their great Chinese firewall is massive, but here's the deal. They killed Domus off the Chinese app store. So now nobody can get it. And I assume if you turn off your fo- your iPhone and you're in China, you're a Chinese national and you're in China and you turn off your iPhone and you've got D- Domus, when it comes back up, it'll be gone. It'll just be gone. So has that stopped Chinese traffic coming in on Noster after that ban of Domus off the app store? Because Domus isn't the only way to get to Noster, right? No, actually traffic in China, while it on, on the Noster network, what we're seeing coming out of China it dipped and damn near bottomed out. And now it's back on the rise. For the Nostra protocol, Domus is dead in China. It's just dead, okay? As an iPhone app, Domus is gone. When they finally port that thing over to Android, it'll be gone too. They'll tell, you know, China will tell Google, uh-uh, not gonna happen. If you don't do this, we're gonna sue your ass into the ground. 
and why an American company gives flying fuck one what China is going to sue them for. I don't know. Honestly, I'd be uh, the only thing they can do is like if Google has any offices or property inside the physical geographical borders of China, they'll just take it. Right. And they'll, you know, won't allow Google in or, but, but I mean, as far as an international lawsuit, if I was Google, I would just tell them to go pound sand, you know, send a missile, you know, <laughs> do that. Otherwise, this tells you the signal here is stronger than all of the noise because the noise is, well, that's it for Noster. No, no, because that was it for Bitcoin when they banned mining, right? In China? Nope. Got stronger. Eh, see, this is just the way it goes. So that's the biggest news is that uh, China's running scared and they know they can't control it and they are losing control. All the authoritarian governments and all the totalitarian governments are losing control. Most of them don't see it. And most of the people don't understand what's actually happening. The citizenry of these countries don't understand what's happening. You've got to look real hard. And with the amount of distractions and bread and circuses going on, by the way, we've got the super, the Stuper Bowl is coming up for all of you sports ball fans. I'm seeing like all the, uh, in every grocery store, it's almost tradition. The Super Bowl, you know, sugary drinks, Tower of Babel is in every single store. Get your really crappy snacks and, and sugary drinks for the Super Bowl. Anyway, the amount of distractions that's going on and Super Bowl, things like that, bread and circus. Nobody really, it's not nobody. Some people can. I, I can see it, but it's not because I'm smart. It's because I just... I'm, I'm taking all the filters off, all the distractions. I'm trying to get, eject them. And I, I started to be able to see reality because of that. But sadly, like that, you know, like Orpheus, Morpheus is telling Neo in the Matrix, most people are so damaged and, and so hurt that they are de so dependent on that system that they will fight to their own death to defend it. And they will. They will. It's a scary, scary situation, but that's where we're at. So be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and for those of you that are worried about this ordinal inscription thing, um, I started having, I had a thought. I have many of them, but I had a thought yesterday because I was looking at ordinals.com. Now this is the main website where you can see all the, you know, all the inscriptions that have been made on various um uh, Satoshis and people writing, you know, NFTs into the blockchain and everybody's really scared. And one of the main pieces of fear, uncertainty, and doubt is that they're going to start inscribing child pornography to destroy Bitcoin, Bitcoin's blockchain. Is that going to happen? Well, they will inscribe child pornography, but surprise, child porn is already on the Bitcoin blockchain and it happened a long long before ordinals came around, long before inscriptions were being spoken about. Yes, if you run a, for, a full node, there is a block out there, if not a couple. I know of at least one because I, I actually, that happened before I started Bitcoin and podcast, but it's there. There is child pornography right now on my full node. I have no idea where the fuck it is. I couldn't find it if you, somebody would actually have to send me the block number and I'm not going to go look for it, obviously. But the point is, is that I 
am a harbinger. I, I, I am a harbinger. <laughs> I have child pornography on this particular fucking drive. And anybody who runs a full node around the world has the exact same file. Okay, so that's, that's where we're at. And we've been here for years. That happened years ago. Because I didn't know if you knew this or not, but this whole NFT on Bitcoin, this has been going on for a very long time. Rare Pepe's, look into it. Rare Pepe's. These happened 2011, 2012. NFTs, they weren't called that then, but these are JPEGs of the little cute frog Pepe directly written into the Bitcoin blockchain for all eternity. We've been here before, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if I've told y'all that yet, but this is why I'm, I'm just really not concerned about ordinals. The people that should be, con the person that should be concerned about ordinals is the guy that wrote or, and is hosting and is responsible for ordinals.com. And I can't remember the guy's name, but I'm pretty sure it's the same dude that figured out how to do this, this whole inscription thing. And I can't, like I said, I can't remember his, his or her name. I'm pretty sure it's a dude though. Um, and I'm looking at a screenshot that I took and posted to Nostra last night. That is from ordinals.com and what it is is it shows like the first eight pictures in picture format by the way i can see the picture right i don't have to decode the text that makes up the picture they've got a decoder linked directly into their website that's showing me the picture and as more inscriptions come down every single day the latest ones are actually shown without without having to de uh, uh without having to decode the ordin or the or ordinal, the NFT, whatever it is, it's written. It's just, it just, the picture actually pops up where I can see it. And one of the pictures was the big black guy with the big black dick. That's right. Now, technically that's, that's not illegal. At least in the United States, it sure as shit is in places like Saudi Arabia. That's for damn sure. But what happens when, you know, and I'm, I'm, from what I've heard, somebody has inscribed child pornography on the, on, in ordinals. I'm not going to go look for it. My point is, is that what we've got here is a website that if, if you want to expand all the pictures, you can actually look at full pages of pictures where the, the decoder that's embedded in the website will just decode all the ordinals and you like look at a page and then go to next or previous or whatever. And you, you can decode them all directly through the ordinals.com website. Now, here's the thing. The very second actual child pornography, if it's not already there, pops up and somebody calls the FBI and says there's child pornography on ordinals.com. What do you think is going to happen? You think they're going to like go around the world and round up all the node runners, you know, all the, the Bitcoin full node guys? Nope. They're going to seize ordinals.com's website domain. And you're going to see the FBI symbol that says we've taken over this domain and they're going to put the guy that owns the domain in fucking jail. That's what's going to happen. Now, jail, okay, I'm going to give the guy an out, right? But what he started, the FUD around Bitcoin being destroyed because everybody's going to put child pornography on the Bitcoin blockchain. 
he may go to jail. I think that they probably will do that. He might get a reduced sentence for the fact that, you know, he didn't put it on himself, but that's not really an argument that works in the United States court system. Okay. We've seen several child pornographers go down and their argument was, I didn't know it was on my hard drive. And no, don't get scared. Don't get freaked out and like go trash your, your, your full node for other reasons. I'm just saying the person that's most at risk right now for FUD, uh, this FUD actually being true is the very person that built the protocol that allows Bitcoin to be used in this fashion that everybody's angry about. So ordinals.com will immediately go the fuck away. Immediately. Cat's out of the bag though. Okay. Cause that, that software that's used to do this from what I understand is free and open source software. Okay. That means somebody else will do it. Do you think that they'll put up a website that will allow you to be able to prove to your buddy that you own this particular NFT on the Bitcoin blockchain? No. Why? Because they saw the guy that did it before them go to jail (laughs) and have their website seized. And any funds that they may have taken for said service will be confiscated if they're not managing their private keys in a way that doesn't allow the federal government to take them. Do you see where this is going? What a mess this is? But it's not a mess for Bitcoin. What it's a mess for is the people that think that they're going to shit all over the Bitcoin blockchain and destroy it because nah, now we've got the end. We've got the knife. We know the chink in the armor. No, you don't. You don't understand how distributed systems work then. Will the feds come to my house and say, we know you got a node? I don't, maybe, I don't think so because my, my node BTC is Tor enabled out of the box. Does that make me safe? No. But when that thing, that thing that will get me in trouble, they will by necessity have to spend all of their time and resources going around the world to pick up every node runner because all the traffic's running through the United States and apparently we're able to arrest anybody anywhere for any reason if it has anything to do with the citizenry of the United States of America, right? You think they're going to spend the resources on that? No. They got way better fish to fry. And, you know, going and trying to find the 20,000, 25,000 running full nodes around the world 25,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but how about all those nodes that you can't see because they exist? Sorry, guys. What I suspect is going to happen is that ordinals is like a fad. Rare Pepe's were a fad. Everybody was like, oh my God, I can own it forever. It was the same argument that people are making for NFTs over the last, what, three, four years. And it's all bullshit. Because it all boils down to what? Does it have utility? Does it have utility? If the answer is no, then it's a fad. If the answer is yes, then it persists. What will persist as ordinals and inscriptions? Ghost gun files. Uh, A copy of the anarchist cookbook. Possibly running old you know, legacy video games like Doom. Why do I say that? Because Bitcoin, will it run Doom? Well, kinda. Decrypt.co, Kate Irwin is writing this one. Um, 
What do eggplant emojis, porn, and video games have in common? They're all now permanently inscribed on the Bitcoin blockchain. This is probably not what Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto had in mind, but thanks to the Taproot upgrade and the controversial Ordinals project, which lets people store unique assets on it akin to NFTs, you can now play an unofficial clone of the iconic 1993 first-person shooter, Doom on the Bitcoin blockchain. <laughs> Let's see if this actually works. <clears throat> oh my God. Hold on. Oh, my I hate this mouse. I hate it. Created by Nicholas Carlini. The game is inscribed on Bitcoin as inscription number 466 and can be played with a keyboard and mouse. It's a simplistic Simplistic knockoff of Doom and doesn't pack the gory, pixelated punch of the influential original, but it offers the taste of what's possible through ordinals. An enhanced version has since been inscribed. It also adds a new layer to the ever-expanding It Runs Doom meme, in which people try to get the game working on nearly any gadget or device they can find, whether it's an ATM a refrigerator, a smartwatch, and plenty, plenty more. There's even a subreddit devoted to the pursuit, followed by over, get this shit, 94,000 Reddit users. That must be, must be popular. It must have high utility. <laughs> oh, I guess I shouldn't have said that. I'm kind of screwing up my own argument, all right? Um, the, the Ordinal Theory Handbook argues that Bitcoin inscriptions like the Doom clone game are better than NFTs, which are unique blockchain tokens, typically ERC-721 tokens on Ethereum, that signify ownership over associated metadata that in many cases is stored off-chain in a centralized manner. Every inscription on Bitcoin through ordinals is labeled a, quote, digital artifact because it is complete and decentralized in and of itself. It's immutable, unlike most NFTs whose metadata can be modified or even deleted by the creator. Since its launch in January, Ordinals has already caused quite the stir among the Bitcoin community, as maximalists and devotees have debated whether any content should be uploaded to Bitcoin at all. As one might expect from the crypto degen community, much of what has been added to Bitcoin as inscriptions so far is something akin to digital graffiti. There are eggplant emojis and board ape yacht club knockoffs, along with nudity, music, tweets, gifts, Donald Trump memes, and even ads for the privacy chain Monero. Fun times. So Doom is an ordinal now on the Bitcoin blockchain because of this whole inscription stuff. Um, again, we really got to kind of pause and think about this instead of immediately reacting with knee-jerk reactions. I still don't know what to think about it other than the following. I ain't stopping it, and neither are you. The only choice we can make at this point as individuals is to look at it and say, I refuse to engage. I'm not going to talk, you know, I mean, I'm talking about them now, but you could say, I'm not going to talk about them. I'm not going to tell anybody else about them, or I'm certainly not going to do an inscription myself. You know, you'd, you'd do all that and it's not going to stop them. It's, this is just, this is part of the game theory that Bitcoin provides. What matters is utility. Is what is being done of value in some way, shape, form, fashion, or other to the human species and to individuals within that species? 
If the answer is no, and we can't say, like what you find of non-utility may not be what I find is non-utilitarian, right? Nature knows the answer to that question. Nature will tell us, but nature works on geologic timescales. So broaden your time horizon, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Let's get to boostograms because, you know, maybe boostograms could be put, you know, as ordinals on the Bitcoin blockchain, but you might not want to put mine up here. Well, actually, I, I like my, well, that was kind of an insulting. I'm sorry, guys. I love my boostograms. Should they be on the Bitcoin blockchain? Honestly, why? I've got them right here. Bubba says, 10, with 10,000 sats says, Revenge of the Nerds was a documentary. You're right. <laughs> they will fuck up the network. Ordinals is just the first. Can we just buy them hookers and get them laid? <laughs> These pe he's right. These people are in more need of a blowjob than anybody else on the face of the planet. Uh, Fatoshi with 5555 five, five, five sat says, I think you argued that guns shouldn't be regulated because just like knives, cars, hands, they can do bad things. This is logical. But do you think bazookas should be regulated? I'm going to answer that right now. No. I'll, maybe I'll tell you why here in a second if I remember. Uh, how about atomic bombs? No. Regardless of logic, I think somewhere there is a line to be drawn that's subjective. I don't like the idea of somebody strolling through a shopping center carrying a bazooka. Perhaps it's just cultural slash Overton related. I understand what Fatoshi's saying. This is an argument that my sister makes. And she's shocked when, when I tell her that I think I should be able to own an F-16. Fully armed. But... Honestly, that's just, a, that's a stupid statement. Even if, even if I could, there's two questions there. One, would I? No, I don't want to learn how to fly a jet. And I don't have any reason to, except to maybe go to Bermuda. You know, I'm just saying. And I certainly don't have any reason to release an AMRAM missile off the chain and blow something up. Okay, I, I, I don't care. Second of all, how the hell would I even be able to afford it? Do you have any idea what a Sidewinder missile, missile actually costs? Now, an old World War II bazooka and its ammunition. Well, first of all, nobody makes the ammunition anymore. All right, so can't do that. Um, I can get the bazooka, but honestly, a bazooka is just a tube with a firing mechanism. It's just a, I mean, they're actually easy to build when you get right down to it. Now, let's talk about like modern bazookas. Should I be able to have one? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Will I get one? No, I don't need one. It's, it, I mean, that, that, this is not weaponry that is of high utility anywhere other than a battle zone. Now, it, urban area or, it, well, okay, let's say anywhere in the United States, let's say shit goes down. You've got a post-apocalyptic scene. At this point, regulations aren't even being considered. So those that have the bigger guns are going to, you know, have a better chance of survival or not survival as much as because human nature is greedy to take somebody's somebody else's shit. If that somebody else has a gun of same size, well, well, there's a better chance of not losing your shit. It's very nuanced. It's very convoluted, but I do believe that I should have a tank or be able to have a tank. None of this is going to happen, right? Because they, they're never going to deregulate an Abrams, a, you know, an Abrams tank. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. They're not going to deregulate 
uh, the ability for me, you know, or uh, make it so where I can go buy bazookas and shit. That's never going to happen. But what I think is important is to keep the tension high. And when I mean ten, when I mean tension, I mean like a tug of war, where if both sides are equally balanced, then either team doesn't end up losing with a bunch of mud on their face, right? But if somebody slacks off on your team and doesn't keep the tension there, well, then that whole team is going to go into the mud. That's what, why tug of war is kind of an interesting, an interesting team sport because it takes everybody. Everybody on the team has to pull their weight. One person lets go on an equally balanced set of teams, then the team of the person that let go ends up in the mud. So by keeping the tension there, by me making statements such as, yes, I believe I should be able to have an Abrams tank, I'm at least stating and trying to build into being a tension for my team. Because if they take firearms away from the American public, that's the last bastion and everything falls. And you want to see real shit go down? Because right now, every country in the world that has had their populace disarmed is becoming, started on a chain of becoming authoritarian and totalitarian faster than ever. That's why, you know, Switzerland still has, an, its, own, its people have autonomy because they're all armed. And them motherfuckers do have hand grenades. Yes, they do. You heard that right. They do. They have military grade weaponry. Uh, do they have a uh, do they have an Osprey? No, probably not because again, what's the utility of me have, you know, being a Swiss citizen having, you know, that massive of a weapon of war? I I wouldn't I wouldn't know where to park it. It's it's utility drops. But the hand grenades? I don't know. I guess it depends on what kind of shit goes down in Switzerland. But I get what Fatoshi's saying. It's, and, I, and, I, and I respect what, what he's saying, but if we lit our guard down for an instant, then what we already have becomes in danger. And right now it is in danger. Nick underscore dose with 1069 sat says another great episode. Thanks for all the Nostra information. You are welcome. NW 1000 sat says not sure if ordinals are NFTs. If they never get traded, then they're not really tokens. And if they're not traded or in any practical way, quote unquote, owned, then they're just broadcasts or notes, tangible notes on Bitcoin, TNBs. That's, that's a good way of thinking about it. See, that's thinking about it. That's like, okay, well, what are these? And then, well, what needs to happen for these to have value? See, he's thinking. Now I'm asking you guys to think for yourselves and come up with something else and let me know in a boostagram. Uh cheers from Nick underscore dose with 369 sats. I love my boostagrams. I love every single one of them, but we've got other things to do. Although that was all of them <coughs> getting to Noster. Noster will only scale if it can incentivize units to run relays. Shinobi Bitcoin magazine. The entire Nostra protocol depends on people somewhere running a relay server. There is no Nostra network. There are only relays and clients that connect to the relays. There needs to be an, there need, <laughs> there needs to be incentives for people to run relays. And in the long run, that is ultimately going to be a huge part of how far relays can scale. 
there will never be Nostra relays at the same scale as Twitter servers unless they can be operated profitably or at the very least bring in enough money to pay for the cost of running themselves. Okay, so what about advertising? Well, advertising would be very trivial to completely block, making it a non-viable solution given how Nostra works as a protocol. A relay server could try and use advertising as a revenue model. It's obviously the dominant revenue model for pretty much every free service there is online. But the problem with that is the users would essentially have to opt into it. Relays could easily just inject advertisements into their events that they send to clients, but clients could just as easily filter those out of the user interface if the advertisement events were not created by a public key they have intentionally subscribed to. Even if a relay operator produced a client that did not do that, there's no way to stop user for, for users from utilizing other clients that did from fetching data from their relay. They wouldn't even really know whether someone's client was hiding ads from the users or not. And because of that lack of insight, this model is pretty much DOA, unless users intentionally opted into it. And even then, the relay operator wouldn't have a sound basis to show anything about the level of engagement to advertisers. Yeah, that's a good point, Shinobi. I can see that. I can see how advertising as a model doesn't work. What about micropayments? Micropayments is another obvious solution, especially given the current attempts to integrate Lightning more tightly into Nostra applications. This model would offer a lot of flexibility in terms of how to charge. Relays could charge for just posting events there. They could charge for downloading events to read. They could do a combination of both and adjust the price of each one, depending on how much of their resources were being consumed by one or the other. I'm kind of skeptical personally, though, that this model could scale to the size of something like Twitter. Content micropayments are showing themselves viable in many niche things built on Lightning, but there are two fundamental problems with that really scaling to a global size. Again, we're, we're always mired in the scaling debate. It doesn't matter at what point you're on, you know, in, into Bitcoin, scaling is always a, a, an issue. Now, first, there isn't, there just isn't enough Bitcoin adoption currently for any of this. Even if everyone would magically become okay with paying for every little service interaction over Nostr, there aren't enough people holding Bitcoin to support it at such massive scales as Twitter. Relays could charge subscriptions through fiat, but those payment rails aren't going to support a fraction of a cent payment for each posted or downloaded event. Secondly, people have literally grown up used to services like that for being free. It's just what people expect. Micropayments alone, I, I don't think will really cut it to support relays at large scale either. There, there could be a way to make micropayments, you know, stickier or more su sustainable without imposing them on literally every class of user utilizing your relay. There's been a lot of discussion of building all kinds of applications on top of Nostr besides a Twitter clone, GitHub, Wikipedia, even decentralized gig worker apps like Uber. That last one is the key here. Something like Twitter or Google is just a service that people have gone their entire lives taking for granted as being free. Economic trade is not a place where those assumptions are deeply ingrained in them. People are very accustomed to paying a fee to post a job advertisement somewhere or paying a cut to a marketplace operator when they order something online. They just assume and expect it from the outset. 
This could offer Relays a way to create a reliable backbone of income from their users without creating a large amount of friction or breaking the expectations of the average potential users. If micropayments are going to be a factor as well, then the relay operator is going to have to run a lightning node in order to receive funds from users in the first place. This could potentially amplify that revenue if properly synergized with whatever micropayment model a relay implemented. The bigger a relay server is in terms of the revenue it's drawing in, the more liquidity it's going to need on the Lightning Network to facilitate that. If operators properly plan how they deploy or allocate that liquidity across the network, then simply the act of running a routing node could potentially be a not insignificant revenue stream in its own right, in addition to whatever they charge to accept or deliver data through their relays. But can Noster scale relays? That's the whole question. Even gluing all of these together, can these different revenue models support a Twitter scale relay? Maybe a gig work relay could, but wouldn't its rational move to be to specialize in only those types of events? What about other use cases like social media? Maybe an individual relay, sorry, maybe an individual relay operating at that scale for certain use cases of Noster will just not be economically viable. The basic structure of the protocol was done in a very simple way so that it can't be easily censored or have its events contents tampered with in a non-evident way. That structure comes with overhead though. That doesn't fundamentally break Nostra at all if it winds up being true. After all, clients can connect to whatever relays they want. Clients aren't married to any individual relay. They can grab events from dozens of relays at a time. Events stored in at one relay can even point to events stored at totally different relays. The protocol can still work for any use case in practice, even if individual relay servers have hard limits that they can't scale beyond in terms of user counts or the number of events they are storing and serving. However, this dynamic does raise issues itself in how to index and track all that data scattered over all those different servers. Do you have a complete view of a series of events referencing each other? Is something missing? A distributed web of smaller relays will run into scaling challenges just as a single relay trying to be massive will. But I'll save that one for another time. Mostly, I understand what Shinobi's trying to say. But I really wish that he would have hit on one, on a particular and a very peculiar point that I've been thinking about for years since I've been running my Bitcoin full node. I just do it to support the network. Now, one thing that I am assured of with Bitcoin is that I'm pretty much going to be able to always support the Bitcoin network even after I have to change out my one terabyte uh solid state hard drive, right? My SSD to a four terabyte, because by the time that I have to do that and get go to four terabytes, um, it's not gonna cost me that much. And because we fought so hard to keep the block sizes small, I don't have to really scale up to a server level enterprise to run a Bitcoin full node. That's why we fought so hard. That's why I've still got my Raspberry Pi 4 with a one terabyte you know, SSD about three feet away from me. And it's been 
churn, just been running on the rails all this time. I don't get any money for it. But honestly, what does it cost me? It, it doesn't. And you know what? You know what it gives me? The ability to monitor my own transactions and secure my own transactions and secure my own Bitcoin. Right? I, did, you know, I run like, you know, I run every transaction that I make nowadays through my Bitcoin node. And there is a certain amount of not only security in that, but satisfaction as well as a little bit of pleasure. That's my payment. Okay. That's how there, there's a wealth in there for me as a human, because I'm learning how to find wealth in things other than physical assets and decimal numbers in a bank. Right. The more I learn how to find wealth in things that are outside the system, the happier I get. And that's going to continue. And, and then comes lightning. Oh my God, the lightning network. Oh, we were reckless, especially when we spun up a lightning node. Well, how hard was that? It wasn't. <laughs> I just, you know, it didn't take very long before my node BTC said, hey, you want to you want to run LND? Well, here's the client. If you can, you, it's it's included in your software update. You don't have to run it, but if you want to turn it on and, and do all the things, go right ahead. And I did. Right. And I've been running my, I don't even know how long I've been running my lightning node. It's been years, I guess. I've got, you know, all of 13 channels or some such shit. And by the way, if you want to search for my, uh, my node on the lightning network, you can find it by Bitcoin and, and I, I think it's just Bitcoin and, or it's, wait, hold on. Shit. I'm going to see if I can't actually do this live and in person. Let's see. Let's go to Thunderhub. How am I getting to thund my lightning node so fast? I've got it connected to my LAN, my local area network. And I can see, let's see the bit. Okay. It's my node is named Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. So go to a Lightning Network Explorer. You can look for my node. You can open up a channel with me and I don't even have to approve it. All of a sudden, I just see, oh, look, I've got an open channel, which means you're providing me inbound liquidity. You, I'm not getting any real tangible money from you know uh, passing Lightning transactions around. Some people are, I guess, but that's not, that's not what I give a shit about it for. I'm able to give my, this, this wallet address that I, that is spun up by my lightning node. I gave to podcast index along with my RSS feed out of SoundCloud and they combined it together to enable me to do podcasting 2.0. So every time that you stream me sats on fountain app, it's not going to some nefarious weird thing in the sky. It's coming and it's landing three feet away from me. And I control it from the, my lightning wallet that's three feet away from me. It's not going to strike. It's not going to, you know, uh, fountain.fm. When you pay me sats, I get them. Fountain doesn't get them first and then sends them to me. No, I get them directly. When you send sats, it doesn't go to a third party. It goes directly to me. I get satisfaction. I have a certain sense of security. But I also have my passion for Lightning and Bitcoin enabled. What Shinobi's missing 
is that I will fucking run a goddamn Noster relay and I don't need to be compensated for it. Now, I'm not mad at him. I'm just trying to stress the point that I will run when it becomes, it's a little difficult. It's a little outside my wheelhouse, but that won't last. My node BTC already has, already has a Noster Rust implementation of a relay, right? It's right here. I'm seeing it. It's, it's in beta. It's even got the little tag when I'm looking at my node BTC screen or my node.local, which that's how you get to your, your node if you're using it on your LAN. I can enable it. When I enable it, the little green light on my node comes on and it says it's enabled and I have absolutely no idea what to do with it after that. But that will change. You know, somebody will go, oh, for all you guys that are running my node BTC and want to do the Nostra RS relay and turn it on, here's how you do it. And I'll do it. And the first thing you'll say is, yeah, it's going to fill up your hard drive. What I'm waiting for is the ability to do the following. To hit the enable button on my node BTC so that I have a Nostra RS relay active on my Raspberry Pi alongside of my Bitcoin full node and my lightning node. And then I want to be able to tell it to cap the amount of people that can use that node at 10 people. That's, I know you're looking at me going, that's stupid. No, it's not. Because for at least 10 people that connect to my node, they will have access to other relays. And so they don't have to connect to my node only right? They can just, they'll have like five or six, but if I'm one of them, if I'm one of them, then I'm helping to support the Noster network and I don't need to be compensated for it. If I want to run a huge node where I have like, I've got to keep terabytes of data forever, then I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not incentivized to do that. But if a hundred thousand people are taking care of 10 people a piece, well, all of a sudden that dynamic changes. Ladies and gentlemen, we need, we need to start looking at the physiology of fungal mycelial networks in the forest and grasslands to truly understand what a network is capable of doing. And until we really wrap our heads around that, we're always gonna fall into these pits of despair about how shit can't scale. Yes. Everything that is network-based can scale. Just ask the single organism somewhere in Oregon that is a thousand square miles or a hundred square miles in size. It's the largest multicellular eukaryotic organism on the planet. And it is one single organism. And you can see it from space because it's wiped out an entire forest in Western Oregon. That's what it's supposed to do. It's called uh, the honey mushroom and it is a forest destroyer. Why? It's a cleansing, man. It's like a forest fire. It burns it down, except this one just eats it. And then eventually it starves itself out as it moves to the outer rim and it goes away. And then a new forest builds in its place and it's completely recycled the soil. It's an amazing method Mother Nature has an amazing capacity to do things that humans 
used to understand, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, but we don't anymore because governments learned how to distract its citizenry so they can get away with high crimes and misdemeanors. But back to the mycelial network, that organism is an impressive size, right? But it's not centralized. It's all part of the same organism. So from that standpoint, I guess you could say it's centralized, but it's over a hundred square miles. There's no way a centralized organism, like a centralized circulatory pump to get all the nutrients around. That doesn't work here. It's the same reason we don't have gigantic insects. If we don't start thinking, and I mean right fucking now, how to do biomimicry, where we mimic how mycelial networks work, we're always going to fall into the hole that I think Shinobi is falling into. We can't see the forest for the trees until the network grows to the point that it completely destroys the trees. Let's run the numbers. Ooh, energy. Actually, everything is taking a pummeling, probably because the Fed yesterday raised uh, the uh, federal funds lending rate 25 bips. Uh, and, and actually, that wasn't the problem. The real problem was that they did not reverse their language and become dovish in the future. They are remaining hawkish. They say they're going to do this again. And everybody got effed in the A, right? So energy is the first up on the list of those that were effed in the A. West Texas Intermediate down a full uh, 2.73 points, uh, $73.81 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise getting pummeled 2.5% to the downside, sitting just over $80 a barrel. Natural gas, this time is actually in line with everybody else. 2.85% to the downside, $2.38 per thousand cubic feet. Now, gasoline, however, is really taking a tumble. Uh, four and a third points to the downside, $2.34 a gallon. Woo, I think Biden's Biden's getting his deal. He's going to be able to refill the strategic, strategic petroleum reserves at $73.75. The question is, will he? Hey, any of you guys out there, could you tell me or lead me to a news story that says that we're actively refilling our petroleum reserves? Because I haven't heard anything about that. Moving to shiny metal rocks, gold down two and three quarters point to $1,877. Peter Schiff having a hell of a day, I guess. I wouldn't know. I'm not on Twitter because Bitcoin's holding pretty firm. Uh, gold is not. Neither is silver because it's down a full actually over a full 5%, $22.40. Uh, platinum is down almost 5%. Copper is down almost 1%. Palladium is down one and two thirds points. Uh, ag is getting, oh God, ag is getting taken out to the woodshed, dude. Biggest coffee or biggest loser today is coffee. Two and a half points to the downside. Everything is down except for corn and it's only unchanged. Uh, Dow is down a half point. S&P is down 0.85%. NASDAQ is down 1.13. S&P mini, yep, sucking swamp water. Uh, three quarters of a point to the downside. Everybody's getting fucking pummeled, dude. Everybody's getting pummeled. Nobody wanted to hear the Fed say that they were going to do this again after this 25-point basis raise. But again, Bitcoin seems to be holding fairly well. 23471 bucks. 
uh, we've had what? Oh, 355,000 BTC sent around the chain in 24 hours. Average transaction value is just over one BTC. Median transaction value is 0.015 BTC or about 350 bucks. Block times are a little high, 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, we've had, uh, let's see, well, 0.15 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. Ooh, another high one, 21.75 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with a 0.45% drop in hash rate. Guys, we're down to 279.57 exahashes per second. It's a mining death spiral. Oh no, run to the hills, motherfuckers. No, it's not. We're fine. Stop worrying about shit like that. What you do need to worry about though is that nobody learned their lesson because Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator, is at 9.2 United States pennies. I don't know what to tell people anymore. I just, it's like, it's, the only way this shit like this can happen is that the people that got burned are willing to get burned again. I mean, how many times do you really want to touch that stove? You know, one point or another, you get burned so bad, you're going to do, you know, nerve damage. 18,726 transactions waiting on 12 blocks to clear. We have what? A 451 point. Yeah. 451.9 billion dollar market cap. That is now 3.58% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 12.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,280,396.5 of and 5,315.99 of them are chilling out in the Lightning Network at $124.6 million of value being run over 16,085 nodes, sporting 76,250 payment channels, and 68.7% of all that shit's being run over Tor. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use five biggest economic bubbles in history. Let's do a little, let's have a little survey class of some of the other things that Bitcoin is not like. Cointelegraph, Gunit Quar has it. An economic bubble is a time of fast economic expansion that is driven by speculative enthusiasm and excessively high asset prices. A bubble is characterized by an increase in demand for an asset such as a commodity, a stock, a real estate, which drives up its price. A number of factors, including easy access to credit, low interest rates, and investor optimism, frequently combine to create financial bubbles. Here's the anatomy of a bubble, or otherwise known as the Kindleberger-Minsky model. First, we have a general boom. This is a cycle. So when I say first, it's a circle. I got to pick a place to start. I'm just deciding to start with the boom phase. Then there's euphoria, which leads to crisis, which then leads to revulsion, which then leads to displacement, which then leads to boom. And the cycle just spins over and over and over again. The asset prices rise as more individuals invest in it, luring even more capital. Its price eventually falls below a level that can be sustained, which causes a sell-off and a sharp collapse in value. This causes widespread losses for investors and can have a large negative impact on the overall economy. Here are five significant economic bubbles 
in history. We start with tulip mania, which lasted roughly two and a half years from 1634 to 1637. I'm reminding you to remind people that say Bitcoin is like tulips, that Bitcoin is 14 years old, but instead of telling them the answer, ask them the question, how long did tulip mania last? Guarantee you they will not be able to answer and they will feel foolish. And let them feel that for just a little while before you say two and a half years. How many multiples is that of Bitcoin? Bitcoin is not a bubble. A financial bubble called tulip mania affected the Netherlands in the early 1600s. And it was based off the price of tulip bulbs. At the time, tulips were a brand new exotic flower that was greatly admired for its beauty across Europe. Tulip prices increased along with the rise in demand, reaching previously unheard of heights before abruptly plummeting. Numerous investors, including affluent merchants and aristocrats, lost fortunes when the tulip bubble burst, leaving them with worthless bulbs. Considered one of the earliest historic economic bubbles, tulip mania is sometimes cited as a warning about the risks of speculation. Second up, the South Seas bubble. That happened in 1720. A speculative bubble known as the South Sea Bubble developed in England in the early 1700s and was based on the South Sea Company, which had been given a monopoly on trade with South America. The company's stock swiftly increased in value, sparking a buying frenzy among speculators. When the bubble burst in 1720, the value of the company's stock fell precipitously. Many investors lost all of their money, and this resulted in widespread poverty and unemployment. The South Sea bubble had a big influence on the English economy and is regarded as one of the first financial crises in modern history. The economic crisis also resulted in a decrease in consumer spending, undermining public confidence in the government and the financial system, and leading to a general distrust of speculative investments that lasted for several decades. I guess until railroad mania, which is next on the list, 1845 to 1847, Two years, guys. Bitcoin is 14 years old. The railroad craze, commonly referred to as the railway mania of the 1840s, was a time when the railway sector in Great Britain, not America, but Great Britain, experienced significant growth. Railroad stock speculation, which saw a fast increase in value and sparked a speculative frenzy, was the primary driver of this bubble. When the bubble burst in 1847, the value of railroad stocks fell, resulting in, you guessed it, significant financial losses for everyone. The railroad mania resulted in several financial losses for many investors, including affluent people and banks who lost a lot of money. Because there was less demand for railway shares, there was less spending by consumers, which had a detrimental effect on the whole economy. In the years that followed, speculative investment declined as a result of the financial losses from the railroad mania, which also contributed to a general decline in stock market confidence, of course, until the Great Depression. The stock market crash in 1929 in the United States, the Great Depression was ushered in by the stock market crash of 1929, a turning point in the development of the world economy. The Depression was a prolonged worldwide economic downturn that had far-reaching and enduring effects on the global economy. A speculative stock market bubble lasted for more than a decade and was inflated by a number of causes, including easy borrowing and optimism about the future, which contributed to the disaster. 
The bubble burst on October the 29th, 1929, sending the stock market into a tailspin and generating significant financial losses for everyone involved. Dow Jones Industrial Average experienced a loss of nearly 25% of its value on that single day alone, which is commonly referred to as Black Tuesday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost nearly 89% of its overall value over the period of several months from its highs in September of 1929 to its low point in July of 1932. High unemployment, widespread poverty, bank failures, and a decrease in crop prices were only a few of the far-reaching effects of the catastrophe. I'm going to stop here to pause and say, bank runs. They're not talking about the fact that, oh, everybody lost their money in the stock market. No, enough people and banks lost their money in the stock market that the bank shut down and regular people that had nothing to do with the stock market lost their money too because they weren't able to get it out of the bank in time. That really needs to be said because that was the trickle-down effect of the speculators that were quote-unquote rich-ass motherfuckers and high finance and suit-wearing, top-hat, monocle-having sons of bitches chilling out, drinking brandy by the fire at the country club that did all this shit. And when they lost their money, they essentially made sure everybody lost their money too. Not out of spite, just it was just going to be what happened. And they closed their banks and your regular bricklayer dude that was using the bank to keep his or her money. Well, the bricklayers were all men back then. Let's be honest. And they pretty much are all now. They lost their money, but it wasn't because they were speculating in the stock market. They were the detritus left over after the people who were speculating in the stock market crashed. And what were they speculating with? Well, the regular Joe's money. It's just like FTX. It's just like FTX. Dot-com bubble. Up next and last, 1995 to 2000. And none of these, none of these have yet to come in to 14 years. Bitcoin is 14 years old. None of the five major worldwide bubbles stretching back to the mid-1600s have even come close to that time frame. You need to keep that in mind the next time somebody brings up any one of these, oh, Bitcoin's like a bubble, ask them which bubble they're talking about. And then ask them if it lasted 14 years, and they won't know. The dot-com bubble was a financial bubble that took place in the late 1900s, 1990s, and early 2000s as a result of the internet's explosive expansion and the dot-com enterprises like eBay, Google, Amazon, Yahoo, theglobe.com that emerged during this time. Dot-com stock speculation, which saw a fast increase in value and subsequent speculative frenzy, was the primary driver of the bubble. When the dot-com bubble burst in 2000, it resulted in massive financial losses and a decline in the value of dot-com stocks. The dot-com bubble had a tremendous effect on the world economy and played a big role in the early 2000s economic recession. So again, guys, that's the end of the article. But again, this whole not being armed well to fight against the onslaught of people saying that Bitcoin is a bubble is at this point reprehensible. I've just, if you need to learn this by heart, then rewind this section of the podcast and 
be able to remember the names, be able to remember the dates, the effects, you can pretty much get that. You ain't got to, people got lost their money, worldwide recession, yada, yada, yada. All you need is the names, the dates, and the dates will give you what? The duration. The duration of these events are the most important thing to remember when you're battling against somebody who's telling you that Bitcoin is a bubble. Because none of these, including the longest one, right? The longest one was what? The dot-com bubble. It lasted five years. We're almost three times past that for the length of time Bitcoin has been, quote unquote, a bubble. And none of these bubbles reinflated. None of these bubbles have a graph that look anything remotely like Bitcoin's 14-year price graph against the United States dollar. Arm yourselves, citizenry. Arm yourselves. Binance severs ties with Indian crypto exchange Wazirix, I think is how you pronounce it. Savannah Fortis, Cointelegraph. The debacle between the global cryptocurrency exchange Binance and Zanmai, the operator behind the Indian cryptocurrency exchange Wazirix, or Wazirix, whatever, continues with a new blog post stating that Binance is banning the latter from utilizing its services on February the 3rd, which is today. Binance released a post that acknowledged the ongoing public debate with Zanmai over its claim to Binance involvement in running Wazirix. Binance said on January the 26th that it had given Wazirix the ultimatum of retracting its statements and continuing using Binance wallet services or terminating its usage altogether. According to the announcement, Zan May made no retraction and now has until today at 2359 UTC to remove all of its funds from the accounts used for Wazirix operations. Binance clarified that the time, at the time of writing that Zenmai has funds that still remain in Binance wallets used for operational purposes. Pausing to say, get out of Wazirix. If for whatever reason you're utilizing this exchange, if maybe you're listening to me from India, get shit out. Get shit out now if you can. This comes less than a month after Wazirix revealed that it holds 90% of its user funds in Binance wallets while the remaining 10% are in storage or cold storage wallets. Again, pausing to say, get out, get out, get out, get out. That announcement was made following a slew of cryptocurrency exchanges releasing proof of reserves in light of the FTX scandal. Wazirix in is India's largest crypto exchange. However, it has found itself in hot water with local authorities over the last year, and Indian authorities have accused the exchange of aiding the money laundering of around $130 million. At the time of the investigation, millions of user funds were frozen on the exchange. It was at this point that Binance publicly began distancing itself from the Indian exchange, which came in the form of a tweet from Binance CEO, Shengpeng Zhao, which clarified that Binance has no ownership of that exchange at all. Shortly after this statement, Binance took the side of local authorities in India during the Wazirix investigation and removed off-chain fund transfers with the exchange. Okay, this, this is bad. Now, as to how far reaching and what kind of dominoes can fall out of this, I don't know. I don't know. But this is part of the other side of the hurricane that we are currently in. 
You know, I'm kind of surprised that the whole DCG thing hasn't really, you know, done a number on Bitcoin's price as it has. Maybe the first part of the hurricane wiped out all the holders that were going to sell and everybody else that's left, we just don't want to sell. I have no interest in selling my Bitcoin at all. It doesn't even, I don't even think about it. But the other side of the storm is coming. This is part of it. Wazirix is India's largest cryptocurrency exchange and Binance told him publicly to fuck straight off. I don't know. This doesn't look good. I think there's other things that are behind the scene. I'm sure Wazirix or there's multiple other people that have exposure to Wazirix somehow. But if I remember right and through Boostergram, please correct me if I am dead wrong. If I remember that story about Wazirix's uh, proof of reserves and 90% was in hot wallets or wallets over at Binance, that the majority of that wallet consisted of Sheena Ibu. If I remember correctly, it is one of the shittiest of the shit coins that you could keep reserve assets in. Please, if I'm wrong about that, please, for the love of God, let me know that I'm wrong so I can make a mea culpa on the air. Moving on, Ray Dalio making a mistake. Cointelegraph, Ezra Reguera has it. Ray Dalio says Bitcoin is not the answer. This dude flip-flops in ways that make India blush, honestly. The community has responded, however, when billionaire Ray Dalio believes that fiat is in jeopardy. He also thinks that neither Bitcoin nor stablecoins are the answer. In response, crypto community members took to Twitter like it matters, to express their opinion on the topic. In a recent interview on CNBC's Squawk, Dalio shared his takes on Bitcoin being a potential solution to the problems with fiat currency. The billionaire argued that it would not be effective as a storeholder of wealth and a medium of exchange. Dalio also highlighted that stablecoins are a replica of state-backed currency and would also not be an effective form of money. That I do agree with him. Bitcoin, uh, but not on the Bitcoin uh, thing. No, he's, he's sorry, dude. Bitcoiners were quick to respond with, uh, to the interview, commenting that Bitcoin already fits Dahlia's description of what money should be. A community member tweeted, and this is from Endorson. Uh, it's funny how he describes perfectly what money should be and yet fail to see that money has all those embedded. Nearly there, Ray, but you need to get some help from Sailor to see the light. <laughs> Additionally, a Twitter user cited various inherent features of Bitcoin and pointed out that it's the solution Dalio is looking for. According to the community member, Bitcoin censorship resistance, neutrality, openness, limited supply, and freedom from control make it the answer to the monetary problem that Dalio describes. Meanwhile, another Bitcoin community member said that they were orange-pilled by Dalio from his insights on the history of money itself. <laughs> the Twitter user believes that the interview shows that the billionaire is close to truly understanding Bitcoin. Dalio historically has gone back and forth regarding his position on Bitcoin. Yeah, flip-flopping. In 2021, he went from describing Bitcoin as one hell of an invention to a more negative narrative, speaking of a potential ban on Bitcoin in the United States and saying that he would choose gold over Bitcoin. In 2022, the billionaire recommended a 1% to 2% Bitcoin allocation for investor portfolios. And back then... Dalio praised BTC for its resilience against hacks and said that it has no better competitor in the market. What is Ray Dalio signaling? Is he signaling stupidity, ignorance, or gun to his head? You be the judge of that. 
But somebody like Ray Dalio doesn't flip-flop like this unless he is being pulled by competing forces that actually affect him in the present and his future. Am I tinfoil hatting? A little bit. I've got a, I've got a little square of tinfoil on my head right now, but be that as it may, it's not the full-blown tinfoil hat. I don't believe Ray Dalio's stupid at all. No, I don't. And I also don't believe that he's ignorant at all. But just like somebody the size of China telling Apple what they're going to do and Apple saying, yes, sir, how high? Ray Dalio is a single person and he is certainly not a trillion dollar company like Apple is or whatever they're at now. You don't think he can't be pulled by competing, uh, competing sources or uh, competing entities, shall we say? That's the only thing that makes sense. That's why I've got a little square of tin, you know, of, of tin foil on my head. The only reason that I think he's saying this is that he's trying to appease people that matter to him in his future. I take, even though that I respect Ray, I don't think he's stupid and I don't think he's ignorant. I ain't going to listen to him because he's not telling me what is healthy for me. I've already discovered that for myself. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jesse Coglin from Cointelegraph for telling us that MicroStrategy says it has no plans to stop trading BTC even as its paper loss hits $1.3 billion. <laughs> Woohoo! Software analytics company MicroStrategy recorded a paper loss of over a billion dollars on its Bitcoin holdings in 2022, but says it has no plans to stop trading that asset. MicroStrategy released its 2022 Q4 and year-end earnings on February the 2nd, showing the recorded impairment charge on its BTC holdings. Net of gains on sale was nearly $1.3 billion over the full year of 2022. And despite the paper losses on a February Second earnings call, MicroStrategy's chief financial officer, Andrew Kang, said, quote, We may consider pursuing additional transactions that take advantage of the volatility of Bitcoin prices or other market dislocations that are consistent with our long-term Bitcoin strategy. See, they're not, they're not reversing course. They're not changing their strategy. Winners don't change their strategy. I'm just saying. Now, on the call, MicroStrategy co-founder, Michael Saylor said that the company measures its stock performance against a number of different benchmarks, saying, quote, the most important benchmark is Bitcoin's performance, end quote. Saylor added that since MicroStrategy first announced that it was buying Bitcoin in August of 2020, the company has been able to outperform Bitcoin as an index over that time. He said that the company's stock is up 117% since August of 2020 compared to Bitcoin's gain of 98%, adding, quote, the only real safe haven for an institutional investor is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the only universally acknowledged digital commodity. And so if you're an investor, Bitcoin is your safe haven in this regard. We're going to come back to that statement because there's a, that's interesting. King stated, or Kang, Kang stated that MicroStrategy held a total of 132,500 <clears throat> BTC worth 1.84 billion as of December 31st, 2022. Of that, 14,890 BTC were held directly by the business with the remaining held in its subsidiary, Macro Strategy LLC. 
Late last year, the company sold a portion of his Bitcoin holdings for the first time ever. Kang said that the 704 BTC were sold to harvest tax loss of around 34 million and that even with the sale, the company increased our net holdings by 2,500 Bitcoin during the quarter. MicroStrategy's overall revenue for the fourth quarter was $132.6 billion. What do they sell? Or oh, actually, I know what they sell, but who the hell? I don't, I've never seen a MicroStrategy software package in my lifetime, ever. I've never seen anything that's been branded my, my MicroStrategy, whether it's software, hardware, engineering tools. I've never seen it. Yet they made $132.6 billion and they beat Wall Street expectations. Its quarter four loss per share came in at around 21.93. At the time of writing, MicroStrategy's stock price had fallen over 4% in after hours trading, according to Yahoo Finance data. So sticking to his guns, Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy just aren't really, they're just not interested in selling. Does that make Michael Strat Michael Strategy Michael Saylor a hero? No, he's in fact a liability. I and I like I like him, but I've learned my lesson. I used to like Roger Ver, and I learned a hard lesson there. I never liked Craig Wright, so there's that. At least I got that one right. But there's been a lot of people. I used to listen. I can't even remember the name of the podcast. It was a Bitcoin podcast, and two of the guys went to Texas Tech University. Two of the three guys. And at one point or another, one of the hosts started talking about how, how Ethereum was so much better than Bitcoin. And, it, he, and then he got worse and worse and worse. He actually broke down, not crying, but in a fueled, I mean, a fury fueled rant about how he was so pissed off at core developers for not allowing, you know, for not even considering raising the, the block size or some such shit like that. It was around the time of the block size wars. So I can only assume it was that. And he just went on and on how he just doesn't give a shit about Bitcoin anymore. And I used to like the whole podcast and I stopped listening right after that. I learned a hard lesson. I'm not going to spend my time learning the same lesson over and over. I like Michael Saylor. I don't trust Michael Saylor. Let's move on to Tim Draper, another billionaire. Do I trust Tim? I don't even know what this article says but I don't trust Tim. But Tim Draper's Bitcoin pitch to Sri Lanka falls flat. We don't accept. Andrew Asmakov writing the last one of the day for Decrypt.co. Billionaire investor and Bitcoin fan Tim Draper made a surprise visit to the headquarters of Sri Lanka Central Bank trying to promote the cryptocurrency as a tool to fight corruption. (laughs) In the very pit where the corruption started, I might add. But... Faced a frothy reception from the bank's governor, not was uh, not going to work here very much longer, per a Bloomberg report. Quote, I come to the central bank with decentralized currency, Draper said, only for a wish to bluntly respond, we do not accept. Quote, Adoption of 100% Bitcoin won't be a Sri Lanka reality ever, he said, adding that we don't want to make the crisis worse by introducing Bitcoin. And Sri Lanka is in a crisis, has been for a while. During his meeting with Draper addressed, or rather dressed in a Bitcoin tie, oh, for God's sakes, Tim, said that should Sri Lanka follow El Salvador's lead in making use of Bitcoin, a country known for corruption, 
will be able to keep perfect records with the adoption of said Bitcoin. According to the governor, however, having its own currency is necessary for Sri Lanka's monetary policy independence and other technologies are capable of distributing financial services. They're stuck in the hole. They're stuck in the hole. The meeting came during Draper's visit to the Island Nation this week to shoot an episode of his Meet the Drapers TV show with local entrepreneurs. Oh, this sounds bad. During his stay, Draper also met the country's president, where he again made the case for Bitcoin adoption in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, which marks the 75th anniversary of its independence from Great Britain this year, is engulfed in a major economic and political crisis that saw its default on more than $56 billion with a B of foreign loans just last year. <laughs> the country is facing fuel and food shortages that lead to mass protests and forced former President Gatabaya Rajapaksa to flee the country and resign. Systemic corruption is believed to be one of the reasons for Sri Lanka's descent into chaos, however. Those ruling the country today appear to be opposed to introducing Bitcoin as a possible solution. Yeah, it's because they want their own power. In 2014, Draper bought 30,000 BTC, then worth 19 million, seized from the dark web drug marketplace Silk Road in an auction held by the U.S. Marshal Service. Well, that same year, he predicted the price of Bitcoin would go to $10,000 in three years. Bitcoin went on to surpass $20,000 in 2017. However, not all of Draper's predictions have come to pass. In 2018, he argued that Bitcoin would reach $250,000 by 2022. Yeah, that didn't happen. By November of 2022, as the crypto space entered into a prolonged bear market, he extended his prediction by six months, claiming that by mid-2023, I'm expecting to see Bitcoin hit $250,000. I don't know about Tim anymore, y'all. I'm not going to trust him because I don't want to learn that lesson again. But I kind of like Tim, like I like Michael Saylor, but don't trust him. But a reality TV show for Tim Draper and for him to walk in, <laughs> for him to walk in to uh, uh, the central bank of Sri Lanka. Did I ever get to that thing? Hold on for a second. Let me see what this is. Oh, no. Um, to just make a surprise visit, if that's in fact what happened, I'm kind of not sure you can actually do that. But I mean, he is Tim Draper. He he might be able to do that. But to waltz in and say, I bring you decentralized money. I mean, if he did say that, it just, I don't know, man. There's something a little obtuse about all this. But be that as it may, believe what you want to believe. I like Tim Draper. I don't trust Tim Draper. I get, do got a lot of respect for him though. Like, and, and like they, you know, like Michael Saylor and what other, ever other guy I was talking about. I can't remember. Um, yeah, they're smart. They're not stupid. They know how to game the system. That's being smart. But Sri Lanka, they're, none of these guys, none of these governments are prepared to give up their hold on money. And we gave them that not long ago. You know, I mean, most money up into what, 15, 1400s, you know, coming out of the, let's say coming out of the dark ages, most money, private money, maybe not Rome or the Roman empire, but for the most part, people trading in money, they didn't have central banks. 
I mean, the emperor was, you know, Rome's central bank for years. Before that, when it was a true republic, I don't think they had a central bank. They did have a treasury, but the whole Senate had kind of power of the purse, but they were directly there. They didn't really, and I don't think they relegated that to a, a third party that didn't have to answer that to them 100%. And in the time of public executions, you pretty much did what they said anyway. I'm just speculating here, obviously, but for the most part, money's been private for the human species for the better part of however long modern humanity has been on the face of the planet. It's only been very recent that we gave that up. We probably shouldn't have given that up, but that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Time for a joke and his dad says jokes. I told the carpenter not to carpet my steps. He gave me a blank stare. All right, it's not the best dad joke in the world, but honestly, when you get down to it, all dad jokes suck. That's why they make you cringe. That's by design, by the way, if you didn't know. Now, what have we learned, boys and girls? I don't know. We learned a lot today. I think the takeaway message for today is, goes back to the front of the show. This whole ordinals and inscription thing, two things to take away. And the first thing is the most important. I'm listing it first. You can't do anything about it. It's outside your sphere of control. It's also outside your sphere of influence. Only worry about the shit that's in your sphere of control and your sphere of influence. If it's outside of that, don't worry about it. Even I, people say, well, you have influence. No, I don't. And, and, and if somebody argues with me, I'll say, okay, maybe a little, maybe a tiny bit. So, but then the answer would be, well, okay, well, then you do have influence. It is in your influence. Is it worth my fucking time to tell you not to do ordinals? Or that I, what am I going to do? Call the Bitcoin, you know, core devs on the phone and, and read them the riot act. Yeah, that kind of doesn't work. And they're not the ones that are doing it in the first place. It's somebody who found a way in. It's somebody who gained the system. And the more pipes you put on this system, the easier it is to what? Stop up the drain. Just that's Mr. Scott from Star Trek reference. If you don't know. He's the engineer on, on the Starship Enterprise. Anybody who tells you that a system is too complicated, you should probably take advice and say, if you're an engineer and you're telling me that, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, you're probably right. The more shit you throw at this, at Bitcoin's core you know, programming, its core code, the easier it is for somebody to go, ah, I see a way to do something. And they're going to do it. That's the whole point of human endeavor. Humans have a tendency to look at patterns and go, I see a way to profit. I'm going to do just that. That's what we do. That's what we do. Even if profit is, I know how to cut down a tree. I see trees over there. That's my in. And I also know how to build a house out of trees. And I'm going to cut them down and I'm going to do all the things and I'm going to build a house and I profit. Not by selling the house, but by having a place to live that's dry and warm. Right? That's a form of profit. Humans do that. That's what we do. That we always do that shit. Check it out, man. There was an uh, there was a uh, there's a video out there a long time ago. Uh, you know, a whole band of gorillas. 
young ones, male, old ones, males, females, you, you name it, whole, whole band of them out there in the jungle. And there's this one adult male, very large gorilla, or very, it may have even been just an orangutan, but they'll rip your arms out of your sockets. Don't be fooled. Very big monkey digging in the ground and pulls a tuber out. It's like a, you know, a tuber is like a potato or a carrot. These are all kind of like tubers. And he's just about to eat it when a very young monkey from the same tribe falls over on its side right behind, right beside the son of a bitch and starts screaming bloody murder. You know who comes running? Mama. And that male that probably might have been able to do some damage to the female stands up, drops a potato, turns his tail and runs his ass off. Mama hot on his heels. And when they're out into the jungle in a way, kid stops crying, gets on his feet, goes up, picks up potato and starts eating it. He totally rug pulled the gorilla or the, the male of this scene. Monkeys do it. Insects do it. Birds do it. Mammals of all kinds. Sea critters. You name it, dude. If, if you have any spark of life in you, you're looking for the in. So that's one. You, you, you can't control this shit. You're not going to influence this shit. It's going to go on. And so the second part, the takeaway, you don't have to take part of it and you don't have to worry about it. It will either provide utility that's long lasting or it will not. If it doesn't provide long lasting utility, it will die by itself. Let nature take care of the garbage. You don't have to. You're not the universe's garbage man. And neither am I. Let nature take out the trash. She knows how to do it. Whether it's forest litter or stupid ass monkey JPEG sons of bitches on the Bitcoin blockchain, let nature figure it out. She is much smarter than all of us put together. How do I know? Because we're all part of mother nature. If you take every human on the face of the planet and somehow or another link their brains to where just one massive intelligence, guess what? Because we exist in the Venn diagram, the, the circle part that is nature, we'd have to collect up all of nature and plug it all in. And then we could only equal the intelligence of mother nature, but we're already in it. We're already in mother nature. Let mom take out the trash. You don't have to worry about this shit and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.